Welcome to On Living, the Trauma and Beauty of Being Human with Dr. Leanne Nguyen. Have you ever asked yourself what it means to be human? What does it mean to be fully alive? What does it take to love, to really connect with another human being? How do we fully engage with and honor the humanity in us? It's time to really talk, listen to, and connect with one another. Come join in the conversation with your host, Dr. Leanne Nguyen. Hello, everybody. Leanne Nguyen here. So we are at our final hour together on this radio show. Many of you have uh, told me over the past couple of weeks that you were going to miss the show. I want you to ask yourself that question, the question of what will you miss, really? Because I think that it's not really me, per se, or the show that you will miss. Something is missed or missing only if or, or only because that something is a part of oneself. When you miss someone, you acknowledge the impact that that person has had. You are saying that that person has taken with her a part of you that you feel is no longer accessible because she is no longer going to be with you. But that thing is is an, an experience that you had in the course of being with the person or being in the connection, something that you experienced as a result of making contact with that person. In other words, something in yourself that got accessed, activated, something that came alive in yourself during the connection. We can only miss something that has entered and marked us, and that is now gone. But what is gone is merely the trigger, the catalyst. What is not gone, what still remains, is your experience, yourself. So when you say that you miss someone, be it uh, a lover, a child, a landscape, or even a taste, you are acknowledging and yearning for the part in you that was the receptive, fertile soil for that person's being and the part of you that came alive in response to her offerings. So you miss someone because she has made an impact or something. And when she's gone, the impact, meaning who you are, what you have thought and felt, and what you still want to know and feel about, who you have become now, because that person is gone or that experience is gone, all of that may be, will go dormant or neglected without the connection, right? So in the statement, I'm going to miss you, is expressed that acknowledgement and that fear. So really, what you miss is the part of you that came alive, that you accessed through the conversations on this show. So I want you to go back and ask yourself what had come alive for you, in you, as a result of listening to me. Ask yourself what you will miss about yourself during the listening to me. And be curious and be tender towards that part of you. I will miss the yearning and the deep confirmation that came with each hour with you. Each hour came alive on the longing on my part to know something about my guests, longing to share something with you out there. And each hour would land me in a very soft, but very strengthening place where I feel confirmed 
in my faith in the power, the benefits of making real loving contact with people. I will miss the activist part of me. What do I mean by activist? Activism to me is the passion to act on the world, the commitment and the opportunity to impart your vision of how the world could be, and the ability to create the terms according to which the world can be. I passionately believe, and I think you know that after all these months, that every life is extraordinary. Every life is worth cherishing and saving. Every mind is worth listening to and getting to know. Every person warrants your curiosity and should inspire your kindness and tenderness. If you take the time and the care to be curious and attentive toward that person. I am certain that less cruelty and less destructiveness would happen if more people believe that too, or if more people believe that with more conviction and better practice. Now, that belief, you know, that activism informs my my work in immigration courts, for example, or when I was deeply involved in the human rights advocacy world. I am effective because I know how to show judges and also victims of abuse the preciousness, the beauty of human life. And I know how to convince them of the worthiness of giving that life a chance, giving that life more care, more tenderness. And each time that we won an asylum grant, it is because we were able to convince them to not dismiss that life through fear and indifference. Each hour that I've had with you on this show has been an act of activism, the opportunity to create a space in the week and in the mind where we agree to pay attention to something and then are able to find out something about the other person and about ourselves the chance to demonstrate how things could be when people talk to one another. I'm stopping the radio show after today, but I'm continuing my activism. The, the, the poet Rilke said, uh, do not seek the answers, live the question. You will then gradually live along some distant day into the answer. I hear here Rilke telling me that what you need to know about your life can only be asked and known in the living, in the actual living out of the question. And so through the process of actually living it out, of making contact with the question about yourself, the answer that reveals itself, the answer that has real, deep, enduring, applicable value to you, It does not reveal itself to you in any mind-blowing, earth-shattering, aha way, you know, like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. But that answer that has deep, intimate value to you would come as, oh, yeah, yes, 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 I've known that about my life all this time. But now I will act on that knowledge and I will live from that knowledge because I don't want anything else, because I'm not fearful full of anything else about my life. The right answer, the right thing to do for yourself in your life is the thing that you are going to do with faith. The thing that you're going to do because you cannot, will not do anything else. 
because doing anything else will not do justice to who you are, who you want to be, how you want to live. Now, if you go back to my first episode, you can still, I think, hear that the show started on a cry, (laughs) really, about why do we so fail one another? And continuing on doing the show, you know, has, has helped me recognize within that cry, to recognize, to grasp the question that I had for myself about my work. And it has brought me today, this week, to the answer. I am a psychologist, schooled in psychopathology, trained in psychotherapy and psychoanalysis, specialized in trauma and severe mental illness. I spent my career tending to wounds and and, and suffering and pathology. I thought that tending to the wound, to brokenness, was my purpose. But, But actually, I realize now that I was really searching for the light. And doing this show has given me the clarity and the faith to assert that I want my work to be an offering to people towards being human, towards the light. I want to devote myself to cherishing and protecting the thing called being human. And I want to commit myself to people's effort toward that with all the trauma and beauty that come with being human. Now, I'm still, you know, in possession of all that I have studied about the human mind, all that I have learned about how the mind can break down and how a life can be diseased. I'm still informed by that knowledge. But I wish to bring a different intention to it, not to just get rid of the disorder or heal the breakdown. This time with you all has given me the permission to say that there is something much bigger and more beautiful and more brave that we are capable of, more than just getting well. I have learned from my guests that we are capable of much more than a simple baseline of being okay, of a normal life. And in each and every single one of my guests, I heard the story of how we're all capable of extraordinary living and loving. And I now end the show believing so deeply that it is the longing and the potential to find the light through the wounds, to seize on the purpose that speaks our deep being, and to learn to trust and to claim our capacity for love. I believe now that it is this longing that pulsates at the heart of each existence and that, that it is the, this thing, the longing, that makes us human. And extraordinary. I want to devote my work to that. Now, is this going to make me a good shrink? (laughs) You know, I I go back to my experience with psychotherapy as both a patient and a practitioner. And I think that uh, this is what is good about psychotherapy. I want to share with you. And by the way, I use the word good in a moral, ethical sense, not in the pragmatic, utilitarian sense. I say good to indicate that which contributes to the well-being of human life. Good to mean that the thing which is nourishing and safeguarding of life. Good to emphasize the essence of the offering, the process of the being, rather than a judgment or a quantification of the outcome. So when I pose here the question of what is good about psychotherapy, I'm not addressing the issue of what is effective or useful, but I'm addressing the ethical, the existential point of what matters, what is important in psychotherapy. The good 
to me, is not what you know about the human mind and its layers and dysfunctions, but how you approach that mind, that life, how you tend to that being. The good in real, deep, good psychotherapy is not a demonstration of clinical expertise, but the ethics of curiosity, the practice of kindness and the offering of tenderness. The intention and commitment toward the struggle and effort of being human. Because that is what you are dealing with when a person walks through the door. A human being who tries to make the most of her life, of her humanity, who struggles to be human with all the trauma and beauty that being human entails. A human being who seeks to make contact with another human being even though he may resist or insist that he only needs help with his mood disorder or that he is upset about the divorce and needs some way out. Of course, you don't ignore the complaint or the manifest request, but the good in what you can do in psychotherapy is to keep your eyes and ears open to the irrepressible, the irresistible, the indomitable longing for connection and to always Keep in mind that this longing is what makes you, your patient, is what makes us human. And you'd better be thoughtful and curious and kind and tender towards that. The good in the therapeutic encounter is not what you can diagnose and pronounce as the criteria of cure, but the ethics, the intentionality and the commitment with which you make the connection with the person. How respectful, in awe, and faithful you are toward this effort and this longing to be human. How committed and wise you are in helping the person succeed in the effort to live as a human being. Psychotherapy falls under the category of health care. It is categorized as a resource to treat emotional and behavioral disorders and is mandated to provide a cure for mental illness. Now, I have a huge problem with how mental illness and psychological disorder gets um, get defined in North America, you know, because first of all, when you approach a person, when you treat a person through the lens of mental disorder, you're reducing the person and the life. It, it's commodifying of yourself and of the patient. It makes the task narrow and deceptively simple when you say, I'm treating depression and so on. It does not require much of your being. It gets you off the hook in your being. And also, you know, what gets defined as a mental disorder is really the stuff that gets discussed and codified in the diagnostic um, volumes and, and manuals. And that codification, you know, just happened through, you know, the consensus of a whole bunch of super educated, super qualified, uh, you know, experts who are mostly predominantly white and male and Eurocentric. So I have a problem with that, but that's another hour. <laughs> Now, psychotherapy is designed to treat mental illness. To get credentialed and reimbursed by health insurance companies, you have to demonstrate your competence and commitment to treat mental disorders. Mm -hmm. To prove that you are tending to a sick, disordered, mentally ill person in order to get paid. But, you know, the majority of people who come to psychotherapy nowadays are not mentally ill. Most people seek therapy because they are lonely 
feeling lost or trapped in a relationship or in a job, seeking relief from rage and terror and emptiness and grief and isolation. Most people, in other words, stumble into the therapy office looking for support in dealing with life and for support in dealing with the longing and wounding that occur between them and other human beings. And mostly, for example, from their mother or the men that they try to love, or a lot of it these days currently, the cruelties from the president. (laughs) People come to therapy these days because they have been hurt and cannot recover or cannot make sense of their hurt or feel that they don't know how to go forward. The source of this hurt is either the unpredictable, uncontrollable, ruthless blows of life or the uncontrollable, incomprehensible cruelties of people. So they need help to make sense of what is happening to them, of what will happen in their life. They need support and companionship in deciding on how they want to proceed, who they want to become, to decide on how to let the light enter and move on with the endeavor of being alive as a human being. So, people come to therapy because they struggle with the business of living and being human. They have forgotten how to be human, how to be treated as a human. And they've forgotten what the point is about living as a human. And they come following the irresistible and despairing call to access and to live out the most human part of their being and of their living without really enunciating that. But that is what I hear and see beyond the typical, I'm so stressed out about my job, or my husband just told me that he's done, I now can't sleep, or my relationships never work out, and I have trouble with motivation, I need help with chronic depression. Or most commonly, I have been struggling and feeling bad for a long time. I need to talk to someone. I need to talk to someone. Let me take a break here and elaborate more on this simple but not trivial phrase of I need to talk to someone. I'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Do you ever feel that you need to make changes but don't know how? Ever wish for someone who can help you find true purpose and make new choices? Dr. Nguyen is this person. Her passion is to help people bridge the gap between where they are and where they want to be. With Dr. Nguyen, you will enter a conversation that is unlike any other. You will make contact with yourself at a depth you never thought you could. You will give yourself an encounter with new thoughts, deep questions, and a renewed faith in your birthright to live the life you are meant to live. Dr. Nguyen's practice has been available to people from all over the world, across cultures and identities. She has built it as a lighthouse and a safe haven to give the deep support and clarity so you can fulfill the promise that you once made to yourself to live your purpose. Whether you are in New York City or anywhere in the world, visit her at drleanne.com. 
You can also contact her for a free consultation in person or on Skype. The website again is dreanh.com. It's time to have a healthier relationship with money. Use it with purpose to create the life you envision. At Thinking Big Financial, your future starts right now. Services include financial planning and investment management. It's not just about the numbers. It's about how they fit into your life. Reach out to Jim to start thinking big about your own financial life. Because isn't it time? For more information, visit thinkingbigfinancial.com. That's thinkingbigfinancial.com. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to On Living. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to ldnewin.phd at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Here again is Dr. Leanne Nguyen. So when people call me up or call up a therapist, you know, the most common phrase is, I need to talk to someone. Now, this phrase is simple, but not trivial. It summarizes, it speaks the basic, fundamental, essential human need, the need to talk, the need to tell your story in order to make sense and make meaning of your life, of your experience, to take hold of your experience, of yourself, and also to do that with another human being, with another someone. We need to do that in order to live really as human. You know, we need to make meaning and we need the companionship in that meaning making with someone. To talk to someone. What does that someone in psychotherapy offer? You know, what is the responsibility of that someone that you need to talk to when you go into psychotherapy? Why go in therapy in order to talk to someone? Now, you know that there are thousands of books written on the topic of the characteristics of the therapeutic relationship on the special benefits and effects of the therapy encounter, what it's about, and so on and so forth. Maybe more than thousands. And hundreds and thousands more on the distinctions between the different types of therapy, you know, cognitive, behavioral, supportive, existential, relational, narrative, psychodynamic, psychoanalytic, interpersonal, dialectical, behavioral, rational, emotive, humanistic, EMDR, sacrocranial, oh my goodness, so on and so forth. You know, I, I remember. Many years ago, a conversation I had with a man from the former Soviet Union who told me that he literally had a near psychotic experience uh, when he was sent to the grocery store, um, freshly off the boat from, you know, in America, sent to a grocery store for cereal. And he stood in the aisle 
paralyzed, you know, amidst two long rows of multiple shelves of cereal boxes towering over him, each of a different brand and each, you know, flashing uh, different benefits of, of the brand and, and each being prized differently. <laughs> he told me that he almost went crazy, you know. I went from a place, he said, where the choice was to eat or to starve. And here I was with the task of choosing between Fruit Loop and Kellogg's and Cheerios and Kashi and Oat Bran and etc. I just needed cereal to feed my kid breakfast. So I think people nowadays go through a similar moment uh, when they seek a referral for psychotherapy. You know, I just need to talk to someone and they get handed about 20 to 30 names uh, from their insurance rep or their providers or friends or whatever. Um and, and, you know, each of these names would be promising a cure and, and each would come with a special specialization and a promise uh, of, of a special, you know, relationship. How do you choose? I always ask people why they pick me. And uh, in doing that, you know, I try to subliminally immediately start the conversation about their existential choice and to look for an entry into their longing for connection. What made you choose me? Why are we to come into existence? People are conditioned to think that they are calling a specialist, a service provider. And I wish to remind them that they are ultimately or fundamentally calling to talk to a human being and what they hope for about that human being in the therapy office says something about who they are trying to be and my job my offering is to make that the focus and the center of my care if you pay attention to that to the fact that you are calling to talk to a human being or if you don't ask for that, if you'd rather sign on with a specialist of PTSD or depression or eating disorder, then you're shortchanging yourself. You're colluding with the culture of commodification. You're reducing yourself. You're allowing your humanity to be reduced to a diseased condition, to a code, a thing in the diagnostic manual. Well, if you do that, you might as well just go to an app, right? I think there are apps now. They were trying to advertise on, on, on the show and, well, you know the answer. Uh, now, what is the offering of that someone when you come to psychotherapy? Right, that was my question. Everything that I have been talking about on the show, the good in psychotherapy happens when you encounter another human being who beholds the sweet responsibility of friendship, as Khalil Gibran has been quoted by me to say. You encounter another human being who is trained in the art of recognition, the recognition of woundedness and vulnerability, the recognition also of the glint of light that shines off the broken shards of your humanity. I'm using the words of Anton Chekhov here. A human being who is committed to the practice of kindness and who is unafraid in the wielding of tenderness toward your being. 
and most of all, who makes it her business, her dedication, to be curious about who you are, how you live, why you live, and who you are trying to become. That is the good that happens in good therapy. It is good because such an encounter humanizes you. The recognition of your woundedness, of your light, the companionship in finding and telling your story, the offering of kindness and tenderness, and the unwavering, unflinching, unjudgmental, loving curiosity towards your being. All these elements allow you to connect with who you are. They reaffirm for you the right to ask to be treated as a human being and something that we all are so ignoring. And it reminds you also of the task, the pleasure, the challenge and rewards of being with another human being, something that we don't have much of a chance these days. Another human being that you are with, not a mere specialist or a mere opportunity to get better. Now, you know that, you should know that I'm packing in an awful lot in these reflections. Each of the things that I have just said um, can warrant a a, a whole hour. And I intend to elaborate, to, to converse more with you on each of these points later on in a different medium or forum. And I hope that you will follow me in that conversation. But for now, my headline, my, my, my take-home point is this. The good about psychotherapy is the connection with another human. The space to be treated as a human being. The chance to remind yourself and to reclaim for yourself all the qualities and longings that make you a human being and the encouragement and the ambition to accept nothing less in your living, in your relationships, or in your work. It's interesting, right? You know that that Sir Branson, uh, the person who, who founded or who's running Virgin, um, the company, you know, recently announced that, that his, his ambition for his company, for, for, for the workplace um, in his company, is to create 100% human human beings. That's his goal for his company and workers. Accept nothing less. Strive for nothing less than to be a full 100% human human being. And psychotherapy can and should be a help towards that. Now, this is all predicated on the fact that you encounter a human being, <laughs> you know, that you have access to and are able to connect with a person who offers her humanity to you. And this is where psychotherapy sometimes fails us. You know, there is something wrong with my profession in a way when uh when I hear people say about a former therapist or somebody else that they are seeing that he didn't seem real to me, uh, you know, I didn't feel anything. Or when a patient would say, oh, I know that I'm not supposed to ask you anything about yourself, but I really wonder, blah, blah, blah. 
but you're not supposed to tell me anything, right? There's something profoundly wrong with the profession where we are afraid to profess, to talk about our feelings and thoughts about the patient and and to do and, and in order to do that we have to come up with fancy you know unpronounceable technical terms to talk about our love and hate and devotion and fear towards the patient a, a profession where we would spend so many conferences and endless hours of symposia on what we should reveal about ourselves, whether and how we could step out of role and be real uh, about if and when, uh, you know, we should show uh, our humanity, how to be human to the patient. There's something wrong with a profession where we need to agonize and strategize and regulate how to be real, how to reveal our being to the patient, how much to exist as a human being in our clinical work. My answer, and maybe I can say this because I don't give a shit. <laughs> My answer is not how much, not whether, but all of us, always, all the way. Now, again, I'm packing a tremendous amount in, in what I have just said, and I know I just want to acknowledge that in case, you know, some colleagues or, or professional patients are listening. I know that I'm treading on a vast clinical literature and, and stepping into a very treacherous debate on the therapist's stance and the therapy-patient relationship and boundaries and so on and so forth. Let me just say, for the record for now, that when I talk about being real, about the offering of being a human being. I'm not talking, you know, about the sloppy, loosey-goosey thing of, oh, be nice uh, or just be yourself. No, I'm referencing here the tremendous amount of discipline of mind and of heart, the commitment of the heart of the soul that are required for the practice of kindness and curiosity for the wielding of recognition and tenderness towards another human being. All the things that I have been defining throughout the show. All right? I'm also talking when I say the offering, you know, of your humanity. I'm talking about the intention of being in the work. We therapists are trained in being a provider of services of healthcare, we are, are we're marinated, <laughs> you know, in the intentionality of curing a disease, of being a provider. We adhere to a limited definition of our professional role. We learn to make contact with the patient so as to be effective in treating her symptoms. We learn about establishing rapport and trust, about cultivating empathy in order to establish the safe conditions for a good, effective treatment. We learn to talk to the patient in a particular way in order to get the, the, the story of, of her ailments, uh, in order to get the clinical information so that we can then 
uh, formulate, you know, an accurate diagnosis and then devise an effective, um, appropriate, reimbursable course of treatment to cure the disorder. We train ourselves to look through the person, to look through the human being in order to reach for the pathological cause, in order to grasp what goes wrong, what doesn't work. We learn to find, to look for, and to find the pathology and to treat the pathology. And in so doing, we come to treat the patient as a form of pathology. We don't privilege being with the patient as the very endeavor, you know, itself. We think of making uh, contact, of, of making connection with the patient as a means to the end of curing the disease. We do not think of the contact of the connection as the very thing to pursue and to offer to the human being who sits in the chair across from us. We keep our humanity out of the way for the sake of objectivity and neutrality. We say, I'm here to work for you, to to treat your illness. Let's focus on the workings of your mind. Let's do a post-mortem on your childhood and a scan, a psychic scan on your present functioning. Why do you want to know what I think, how I feel, who I am? Let's find a problem with you and fix it. Now, of course, you know, I'm, I'm simplifying quite a bit here, but, but it is a condensation of how we therapists are taught to position ourselves, what we are taught to commit ourselves to. And in so doing, we remove ourselves, our humanity, our light, you know, from the encounter with the other person. Let me take a pause here. Uh, it seems to be a good place to, to pause for one last pause in this hour. And I'll come right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com It's time to have a healthier relationship with money. Use it with purpose to create the life you envision. At Thinking Big Financial, your future starts right now. Services include financial planning and investment management. It's not just about the numbers. It's about how they fit into your life. Reach out to Jim to start thinking big about your own financial life. Because isn't it time? For more information, visit thinkingbigfinancial.com. That's thinkingbigfinancial.com. Do you ever feel that you need to make changes but don't know how? Ever wish for someone who can help you find true purpose and make new choices? Dr. Nguyen is this person. Her passion is to help people bridge the gap between where they are and where they want to be. With Dr. Nguyen, you will enter a conversation that is unlike any other. You will make contact with yourself at a depth you never thought you could. You will give yourself an encounter with new thoughts, deep questions, and a renewed faith in your birthright to live the life you are meant to live. Dr. Nguyen's practice has been available to people from all over the world. 
across cultures and identities. She has built it as a lighthouse and a safe haven to give the deep support and clarity so you can fulfill the promise that you once made to yourself to live your purpose. Whether you are in New York City or anywhere in the world, visit her at drleanne.com. You can also contact her for a free consultation in person or on Skype. The website again is drleanh.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to On Living. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to ldnewin.phd at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Here again is Dr. Leanne Nguyen. So, I'm in the middle of telling you about the good, the bad, and the ugly of psychotherapy. Um, Cliff Notes version. Uh, The ugly thing about psychotherapy is that our training makes us uh, remove ourselves from the encounter. We make our humanity unavailable and inaccessible to the patient, to the other person. We convey to the patient that our humanity... That is, the the ways in which we have fought in our own life to let the light enter through our own wounds. These ways are not to be revealed in the encounter. They are out of bounds um, and they are kept in check, not to be revealed or even altered by the encounter with the patient. And, And if our humanity, if the light that entered through our wounds is accessed and revealed and affected by the experience of being with the patient, then we have come up with a technical clinical term, you know, to control it, to capture the workings of that accident and to control it. And it's called in in my trade, you know, counter transference. Now, in this second century of psychology, we have become quite sophisticated and researched and, and have published a lot on how to understand and make use of this phenomenon, this mechanism called counter-transference, which is basically the things about the therapist being that get triggered and brought into the therapy encounter. In this regard, there is an appreciation for the value to these moments when the patient has access to the therapist's emotional makeup and inner being. But essentially, fundamentally, it is viewed as something to be careful about, to be suspicious of, to apologize for, and to regulate. Something to keep under guard. Otherwise, you know, it would interfere with our clinical objectivity and would compromise the effectiveness of the treatment. Now, the problem with this is that the thing about being human then becomes a casualty. The casualty of this clinical, technical position is that, by the way, it's not just clinical, it's it's a philosophical, ethical position. The casualty of that position is that the offering of our humanity is ignored or devalued and even prohibited. It is it's it's um is posited as accidental or incidental, not central, not to be intentional. 
when the intentionality in doing psychotherapy is to keep guard of our humanity rather than cultivating, offering it, then psychotherapy fails to be a resource towards the project of being human. The same thing with the dictate or the position of neutrality, right? Now, here, just note I'm going to condense a lot. By neutral, I'm referring here to the position that therapists are trained to take on, the position of not making suggestions, uh, not offering opinions or solutions, not revealing personal positions, only to observe, not to opine, to guide and to cure, not to be invested in any side or aspect of the patient's life, not to interfere or get involved in the patient's business of living. We neutralize our investment in the patient's living. We state that it is the patient's life, it's his choice, that we do not take a position in his choice or decision. We even like make people sign contracts to, 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 to that effect sometimes. Uh, neutral is <laughs> most often to cover our ass, but you know, we have to do that. Otherwise, the premium for liability insurance would go up. I have heard so many reports and witnessed directly so many moments in therapy where the patient would want to know what the therapist thinks about something, how she feels about certain things, how she would handle the situation, if she has dealt with a similar blow in life, and and and, and just to see that that request for contact with the therapist, humanity, be deflected or sent back to the patient. And I've had experiences with therapists who refuse, you know, who are loath to get involved in matters in the patient's life that, that would take them outside of the consulting room that would make them, quote, step out of role. Uh, things such as, you know, testifying in court or filling out a, a disabilities form or even going to, a, you know, a social function that is so life-changing and meaningful to the patient. Uh, things that would require them basically to step out into real, the real world. The refusal is in the name of neutrality. So as to better protect the treatment, to preserve the integrity of the encounter, to encourage the patient's focus on her own mind, her own agency, her own motivation. It may be so. But it also sacrifices, it also does violence to the fundamental thing about, about being human, about us humans, that in a way that we on this show have been talking about. And that thing is the interconnectedness between us, the prize and the rewards of making contact with each other. The trauma and beauty of agreeing to take on the sweet responsibility of tending to and of affecting each other as humans. I think that the stance of neutrality is delusional and unfair. You know, we humans know things about each other. We pick up on things about each other. We are constantly revealing ourselves to each other, intentionally and inadvertently. To think that we can keep neutral, that we can seal ourselves off from the patient is arrogant and delusional. This intimation, you know, to maintain an objective and neutral stance is really rooted 
in, in the delusion that we can be invisible to each other, that we can delimit and control and regulate and manage how much and how we affect and alter each other, that we can predict and control how our humanity intersects and impacts on each other. And at the roots of this, really, is, is the delusion and the ambition of psychology or psychotherapy to be wedded to, uh, to science, to present itself as steeped in the ethics of science, and to present itself as a medical discipline. If we are dealing with the brain and with disorders of behaviors, then science may be applicable, and scientists or practitioners of science or scientism may be called for. But we are here dealing with the soul, the heart, with life, with the struggle to be in life as a human being. And I also think that the neutral, the stance of neutrality is also unfair because we require the patient to be totally naked, totally fearless and brave in looking at herself, in showing, announcing, living out her humanity in our office. And yet we hide and refuse in the name of being professional and neutral. You know, I've come after these many years of, of, of doing this and listening to colleagues. <clears throat> I've come to suspect that behind the neutrality is a lot of fear and it's actually a refusal. The fear <clears throat> to be seen, to reveal ourselves as human beings, to reveal our own human fears and longings and solutions, the fear to be wrong, the fear to be held responsible for the answer that we give, the fear to be liable, fallible, visible, and the refusal in the stands to be neutral, the refusal to, to put ourselves out there, in there, into the encounter with the patient, the refusal to agree to be part of the answer to the question that the patient is posing about her living, her being. The refusal to be a part of the patient's question about what it means for her to be human, what it means for you, doctor, to be human. The refusal to stake a claim in the unfolding of the patient's humanity in your office, in the relationship with you. And the refusal to come clean and clear about how our humanity as therapists has come about and is being altered by the patient's humanity. That refusal, in my view, is the ugly part of psychotherapy. Now, let me end with the bad. Again, I'm condensing and headlining here. Because of the medical focus on pathology and the intentionality towards um, fixing a disorder, psychotherapy is designed to be a means of restoring functioning, you know, of, of bringing the person from a place of deficit to, uh, or of conflict to uh, the baseline of equilibrium. The intention is on functioning, um, on helping the patient make it 
according to the norms and requirements of society. The attention is not on the ethics of being and living. Psychotherapists are dedicated to repair the failures in functioning. Our curiosity is towards what causes the dysfunction. We are not trained to ask, how have you let the light enter through your wounds? Are you living the way that you wish to? Who are you trying to become? Who do you wish to be when you die at the end of this journey in life? Show me your humanity. Let me show you and let's look at what you do with that. I believe that psychotherapy can be a resource towards the endeavor of being human. The responsibility that we have should be to lend support to the struggle and the aspiration towards staying human in an increasingly dehumanizing world. And in this regard, the central question of psychotherapy has to change. It should be, what kind of human being do you wish to be? How do you want to exist? What makes you human? How can I help you towards being human? It's time now for me, I realize, to stop. It's only a pause, I plan. Uh, In this ending hour, I have just, you know, outlined for you the beginning Uh, at least in my mind, of of a whole new line of reflections, a new series of conversations. Uh, This radio series will continue through my my blog of the same name. I just decided this week, there's a new adventure, you know, blogging. I'm I'm quitting social media, though, uh, but I'm going to continue this conversation through that other medium of of the written words. Um, In a few months, you can find me in conversation again. Um, I don't know how to reach you, how to let you know about uh, what I'm going to say. So I hope you will write to me uh, so that I know how to send out the announcement. Um, I got to figure that out, but I will have a couple of months to do that. And then we'll continue our conversation about what kind of resources we can have towards helping each other be human. Um, Until then... uh, with, with my whole heart, I wish you all out there, I wish you all, all the support and, and artfulness and skills to enjoy being alive and to enjoy being human. Much love to you all. Goodbye for now. Thank you for tuning to On Living, the trauma and beauty of being human. Please join Dr. Leanne Nguyen again next Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And enjoy being alive.